Hello. Hello. Salam and good evening to you, worthy friend. Please, please, come closer. Uh, too close, a little too close. Good evening, good evening. Welcome to the Disney Brit Radio Show. It is Monday the 13th of July here on Orlando Sky Radio and you join us once again. And it's kind of a funny show for us because although it's just a normal Monday evening and it is indeed the uh, Disney Brit Radio Show on Orlando Sky, if this was still running as a podcast as it has been, this would have been our 100th episode. So we thought we'd do something a little bit different for episode 100. We've got an extra special guest which we'll talk to you about in a second. Before that, we've got some wonderful people with us anyway. Of course, it's Alan. Hello, Alan. You all right? How are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, so-so. Middle of fairing. Just middle still getting used to being sound, here. Sound like some sort of weather forecast. <laughs> <laughs> middle to fairing. Yeah, cl- cloudy outlooks. Uh, yeah. Kez, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad. You know, the Olympics is still going on and um, I'm sure we've won lots of medals. That just proves that we're pre-recording this now, doesn't it? Oh well, never mind. Um, but uh, it's wonderful to have everybody here. But we also have one of the guests with us, and a guest I don't want to introduce. Maybe they'd like to introduce themselves. Oh, hello there, <laughs> Dreamfinder. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, hello, my name is Ron Schneider. I used to be a Dreamfinder. Used to be the Dreamfinder, and now I'm here and uh, with you, wonderful people. And I know that there's a time difference between uh, Britain and Florida, yeah. but you said it was July 13th. Oh, August 13th. August 13th. <laughs> ah, look at Thank that. you very We're much. Totally out by an entire month. Isn't it lucky you're here? Okay, that's good. So August 13th, change of plan. Lovely. So we just skipped forward a whole month. The magic of the dream finder. Yes, it is Ron Schneider who is the dream finder uh, or was the dream finder. I was the dream finder and I'm now the author of uh, From Dreamer to Dream Finder, my new book. Nice. Just came out. Look at that. Got it in early. I like that. We're going to come to that as Thank well. You. A bit Thank you. Well, I thought, you know, get it out of the way and we don't have to mention it again. Oh, no, we'll definitely be mentioning it again later. <laughs> oh, okay, good. <laughs> and uh, also 40 years in theme parks with Universal and Disney and uh, Six Flags and uh, like that and just a big fan of uh, your show and of the industry in general. So I'm delighted to be here. Well, as we've already given away, we are pre-recording this. This isn't entirely live. So there's going to be no news and rumors this week. But we have got some messages from people to say happy 100th episode, as it was, would have been with the podcast. We've got uh, Redbox uh, is back again, as always. We've got a game to play a little bit later called Dreamfinder Did or Dreamfinder Didn't, which we're going to play uh, with one a little bit later. But it's, it's, do you know, this is kind of like one of those real geek moments for me. Um, because uh, those of you who listened to the show in the past will know that we had Bill Farmer at uh, Mouse Meets this year, and it was really exciting to have him with us and to to basically tell us about his life with Disney. And uh, we're going to do the same thing with Ron, really. And you know, I, and, and I'm sure, Ron, you get this all the time, where suddenly you speak to somebody who's now a grown man who went, I remember speaking to you in Epcot when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm one of those people. And most of them have pictures that they show me, and they yeah. say, this is, this is a picture of me with you, and usually it isn't me, because I, I only did the Dreamfinder for the first five years. Yeah. 
Um, wonderful man named uh, Steve Taylor actually was there for the full 15 years, uh, and usually, usually it's a picture of Stephen. But yes, the character uh, touched a lot of people, and um, and I really credit that to Tony Baxter and the people who did the uh, original work on the attraction. They created something that resonated with people. That uh, you know, the message was imagination is something that belongs to all of us. And they told the story so well and made the characters mm. so vivid that when you got off the ride and you met the characters, um, it resonated in a way that uh, meeting a normal, you know, one of the regular characters doesn't always do that because uh, you you don't have that personal experience. And remember, in the ride, you were there at the moment that Figment was created, and uh, so we resonate like that. It's it's as I I compare it to the way that uh, Walt Disney's the work that Walt Disney did mm-hmm. in his lifetime still resonates today, and it's one of the reasons people are so loyal to the company because of what the way Walt Disney touched them personally. And uh, so, yes, we get that quite a bit. I just spent this weekend at uh, on the uh, Megaplex Furries Convention in Kissimmee. Mm-hmm. It was the first day, the first time I actually had the books and could sell them. And I was meeting the wonderful, wonderful people who, uh, again, like yourself, had that uh, memory of that personal contact. And it's inspired and moved a lot of people through the years. And I'm very grateful for that. Now, I'm intrigued to know about Alan and Kez's um, Dreamfinder experience. Uh, did either of you guys get the chance to meet the Dream Fighter in the park? I know Kez is like only 12 or something, so she probably didn't. <laughs> um, Kez, did you get a chance to meet Dream Finder? No, never. Oh. And that really, that's gutting for me because Figment is my absolute favourite character. See, Alan, we always have that fallback. Yeah, people yeah. who may, may never have heard of Dream Finder, they're always big Figment fans. Yeah, oh yeah, big time. Alan? Yeah. Um, I, well, first time I went was around 1990, so it wouldn't have been yourself that was there, but I think the Dream Finder was there. Because I can remember thinking, this guy is outside in the sweating hot sunshine <laughs> with, with gloves on. <laughs> was that it, that he was wearing a gloves? suit and a wig, beard and mustache and a big black top hat, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you, you were saying about the, the Dreamfinder and, and Tony Baxter inventing this character. Now, you will probably know better than me, but I was racking my brains to work out how many sort of original characters, and when I say characters, the sort of things that would interacting away with audiences in the theme parks that Disney created and there's kind of only two I can think of Haunted Mansion aside with things like Hitchhiking Ghosts and that sort of stuff because they don't necessarily interact as much Dreamfinder and Figment is one the other one I can only think of is Cosmic Ray Cosmic Ray was uh, an audio animatron exactly yeah so you're talking about live performers performances I think you are probably the only one are you not that that is attraction based. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, they had walk around costume characters for the country bears. Uh, they had um, an orange bird, of course, that walked around uh, Florida. Um, but uh, we were certainly a unique character, and, and also on top of which, we were the only characters at Epcot when it opened in '82. There was no Mickey, no Donald, no Goofy. Um, we were the spokes characters for Epcot, and so I got to do a lot of press events and. Um, uh, personal appearances promoting Epcot Center because we were the, we were it. Um, it was a very brave thing mm. that the Imagineers did and that upper management allowed them to do. They said, uh, this is a different kind of park. This is an exploration park, an inspiration park, and we feel that it would be a mistake uh, to put the Disney characters in Epcot, that it did create a separation between Magic Kingdom and Epcot. And so we were the only game in town for a long time. 
And uh, until Mr. Eisner came along and said, uh, hey, we're missing out on a few million bucks here in merchandising. <laughs> Bring my, the mouse of the characters over. And uh, that's when they invaded Epcot Center. Uh, but uh, we were there. It was a unique opportunity. When I, saw, uh, when I first heard Tony Baxter speak in 1982 about uh, their plans for imagination, I saw a sketch of Dreamfinder and Figment mm-hmm. and heard him say these are going to be the only characters. I glommed onto that and said, this is, this is for me. I want to be this character. I had a background in puppetry and magic, and had, by that time had been doing characters in theme parks for about 12 years. And uh, walked into the office, applied for the job, and got it because of my background and uh, the fact that I was already with the company. Mm-hmm. And so I was lucky enough to get that step in and get that opportunity and be the first. Let me just uh, go back to something you said about uh, just then, which was obviously when Epcot opened, you were the only walk-around character. There was no Mickey, no Minnie, none of those characters. The, the people that, that had become staples of the Walt Disney Company, uh, you went to the Magic Kingdom, you couldn't move for characters. But yet people came to Epcot and suddenly saw this man linked to a ride that a, they may never have been on. B, they've never seen before. What was their reaction to you in the park? Was it just, oh, brilliant, a character? Or was there sort of like a, a people staying away because they weren't quite sure who you were or you had a negative reaction? Excellent question. The ride actually didn't open until several months after Epcot opened. Mm, Epcot right. opened in October of 82. The ride didn't open until April of 83. And I was afraid going out there that nobody would know who we were. I needn't have worried Everybody knew who we were. In fact, I did a parade. I did the Orange Bowl parade through Miami Beach mm-hmm. before I ever did Ep- uh, Dreamfinder in the Park. And I'm on this giant Kodak float going down the middle of Orange, uh, of Orange Avenue at Miami, in Miami. And it's late at night, and the families are going, Dreamfinder, Dreamfinder. Now, what I finally figured out was, and this is something that you might be able to relate to. When I was a child growing up in Southern California, whenever I saw an ad for Disneyland, mm. my eyes went right to the characters. Mm. That's what I wanted to see. And um, so all the publicity for Epcot always had a sketch of Dreamfinder and Figment and always identified those characters. And so everybody knew who we were because they were anticipating us, first of all. Second of all, Figment is a brilliant character, brilliantly designed, brilliantly sculpted, and very attractive. People, that's one of the reasons I think people, although they've never experienced their original Figment, um, who is a much more charming character than the version we have in the park now, Um, they still are so attracted to him because he's purple, which is a very popular character, was just coming into popularity back in those days. And he's wild. He's crazy. He doesn't look like a Disney character. He looks more like a a Warner Brothers character. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Mm. Crazy. And um, so we got a warm reception right from the top. People loved loved us both. And um, so so I needn't have worried about that. People knew who we were. Excellent. Um, you said that you're working. You're already in the company, so were you already working with Disney then? I was working at Disneyland in a show called the Golden Horseshoe Review, which uh, was the longest. It is listed in Guinness Book of Records today as the longest-running live stage show in, in the history of the world. It opened uh, the day Disneyland opened in July of 1955, mm-hmm. and ran five and ten shows a day until 1986. Uh, the star of the show, the comic, was Wally Bogue. He was there for most of the run. And I saw him do the show in 1970 for the first time and took one look at what this man was doing. He was having so much fun. It was so good. The show was so, so wonderful that I decided right then that I wanted to be Wally Bogue. And I spent the next 10 years studying and getting as much work experience as I could. So in 1980, I got hired in to understudy Wally. And my dream came true. 
So I was in the Golden Horseshoe Review. It's a Wild Western saloon show with can-can dancers, and there was an Irish tenor and a saloon singer, and Wally was the comic. He mm-hmm. did a traveling salesman, and he did a hysterical bit as Pecos Bill. And uh, this classic show ran forever, both uh, in, at Disneyland and in Florida. And uh, so I was with the company understudying Wally when um, Wally retired in 1982. And I wanted to get the full-time job, but didn't get it. But I, about that time, I heard Tony Baxter give a presentation at the Disney University about uh, the journey into imagination. And that's when I saw the sketch of Dreamfinder, and that's when I said, that's my next step, and uh, went worked my way around the company. That's the great thing about being inside the company is that you can network and find other things to do and uh, advance your career from and inside the company. It's a much better place to work. And you got relocated to the other side of the country. Yep, they picked me up and moved me. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. Now, you just mentioned uh, yet another Disney legend. Uh, certainly in Disneyland, people in Walt Disney World may not know him as well, which is Wally Bogue, who died, I know, um, only fairly recently. Uh, and so you had the chance to work with Wally. What was that experience like? Because, you know, he is truly one of the Disney legend firsts uh, and such oh. a wonderful performer. Um, the, the sad thing about working as Wally's understudy is that that meant that uh, I hardly ever saw him because I was there <laughs> of when he was. Of course, that's very true. When I visited the park on a regular basis, you know, I would go several times a year and whenever possible. And I would always go to the Golden Horseshoe and always see Wally and, and, and love the show. And I got hired by him and taken in and, and he took me up to his dressing room and we, we talked and he was about the show and the history of the show and everything. But then from that point on, I didn't see him that often, sadly, except when I was visiting the park as a guest. A uh, very professional guy, very, very devoted to Walt Disney's uh, memory and uh, to, the, uh, to the family atmosphere of the park. I was very lucky that I got to work at Disneyland. I was there from uh, 80 to 82. And you could still feel Walt everywhere you went. There were people there who mm-hmm. had worked with Walt. There was a familial feeling among the people who worked there there was a a support and a love for what they were doing and you could still taste it of course i was at the golden horseshoe which is kind of an isolated enclave in the middle of all that and that was definitely uh in the process that thing was all about keeping the waltz tradition alive keeping that show alive because he loved that show more than anything and never missed it when he was in the park um so wally and fulton and betty taylor and the girls who worked the line, all these people were all the, the girls in the line weren't around when Walt when Walt was there, but they carried on those traditions of of being a warm, creative family. And uh, you know, you, you hang out backstage, and the backstage you know hadn't been changed much since the, since the fifties. So you were very well aware of of carrying on that tradition. And uh, Wally was all about that. You know, he wrote the Enchanted Tiki Room and he translated a lot of the shows, mm. the comedy from the shows for when to- they opened Tokyo Disneyland. He worked with a, a, a Japanese writer to help translate the jokes, make sure the jokes came across. And um, he, he wrote all the employee newsletters. He was one of the founding members of Club 55 that was the uh, uh, organization of Disney alumni. Um, and you see him all through Disney history. And if you watch any Disney films, any of the feature films while Walt was around, uh, you'll see Wally Bogue usually. He's in, the, he's in the Son of Flubber. He's all over the Son of Flubber. He did all the stunt work for um, 
uh, in the basketball sequence when you see uh, the, uh, the basketball player jump it up and down and all of Fred McMurray's stunt, stunt work in uh, the, the uh, Absent-Minded Professor. That's all Wally Bogue. He did character modeling. He did voices throughout, throughout the park. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was really being a part, touched by Disney history to be working with him. Yes. Do you have any particularly like memorable encounters with the public when you've been Dreamfinder in any of, of your other roles? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about this the other day. You know, people say, "What's your you know any magic moments?" That was my job. Was I was creating you know <laughs> fifty or sixty magic moments every thirty minutes. Uh, you go to the park and you meet the character. You have a magic moment. But I'm I'm lucky that I got to be there. I had a lot of very special moments. Um, the uh, the one of my favorite things to do was I'd get to work first thing in the, in the morning as Dreamfinder, and I'd get to the Imagination Pavilion, and uh, the park had just opened, and the guests hadn't started. There wasn't there was not a huge mob of people in Imagination. In fact, they were just starting to get on the ride, and there'd be some child upstairs drawing on the magic palette in the Image Works. He'd be drawing an image of Dreamfinder on this video screen. And he'd be all working and filling this thing in. And then from behind him, he'd hear, he'd hear, oh, he's very good, isn't he? And he'd turn <laughs> And Figman and I would be standing there watching him. And uh, it was just a wonderful way to start the day, to go out in front of the pavilion and uh, stand there as the people came by on the monorail. You know, they're just arriving at Epcot mm. for the first time. The place is just open. They're getting their first look at all the pavilions. And I would stand with my back to the monorail. And Figment would turn around and see the monorail first. You'd get all excited, then he'd get mine. <laughs> and then I'd turn around, and I'd see him, and I'd wave, and you'd see all the people, this wall of people in those standing room only, in this monorail, all going nuts, taking, <laughs> waving. Um, the, the quintessential story is uh, my favorite. I was walking off set one day, and uh, coming through this group of people, there was this little boy, uh, maybe about five years old, and he's uh, looking up at me, his eyes as big as saucers. And I, you know, I, I've got to get to my dressing room or I'll never get a break. But there are no other kids around, so I figure I'm, I'm okay. I can stop and talk to him. I kneel down and I you know, talk to him for a while. I introduce him to my arm. And um, I, that's where I had figment. And uh, I'm asking him questions, and he's just dumbstruck. Finally, I get up and I said, Well, I, I got to go now. Goodbye. And he looks up at me with tears in his eyes and says, Goodbye, Jesus. Bye bye, Jesus. That's fantastic. I was there for like a minute, and everybody around is roaring, laughing, and I couldn't move. You know, it's because you've got to stay in that character, aren't you? You can't just sort of come out and and laugh with him as such. (laughs) It was. um, He was so. He was so terribly moved. It was. It was wonderful, and you you never know how you're going to affect people. uh, and to this day, when I, when I meet some people, um, I had an occasion this weekend uh, to meet a fellow who um, is uh, right now suffering a, a, a terrible illness. And um, when I was, I was introduced to him, and uh, his sister introduced me. And uh, when he heard who I was, uh, he just uh, broke down, threw his arms around me. And um, it's wonderful, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. A company that can touch people like that, and a, yeah. and a crew of characters that can touch people like that, and I, that's why I love theme parks. You can touch people, move people in a way that you can't in just about any other art form. You know, you might tell people a story in in, in theater or in film, but uh, when you're they're in a theme park, the show's about them. It's about their experience. They're the stars, and uh, so they live the story personally. 
and that's what I find exciting about it. And as much as I enjoy theme parks and as much as I enjoy going to Universal, I, was, I, I still think there is nobody better than Disney to be able to produce those particular moments and, and mm. really uh, bring all of those things out. We've got, uh, we've got Ron Schneider with us on the show here on the Disney Bit Radio Show on Orlando. Orlando. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we're back, we're going to find out a little bit more from Ron, including our game, Disney, uh, sorry, Dreamfinder did or Dreamfinder didn't. <laughs> Every day, a new beginning. Every night, a brilliant end of Epcot. Hi, everyone. This is Craig Duncan. Please come and join me for my soul show every Sunday at 9 o'clock UK, 4 p.m. Eastern. You'll only find me on Orlando Sky Radio. Come by and say hi. Want to keep up to date with all the latest Disney news and rumors? Then make sure to check out www.disneybrit.com, your number one source for the magical world of Disney. Howdy, folks. Please keep your hands and arms inside the train and remain seated at all times. Now then, hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Welcome back to the Disney Brit Radio Show, live on Orlando Sky Radio, where you've got me, you've got Kez, you've got Alan, and we have the wonderful, oh-so-wonderful Dreamfinder Ron Schneider with us for the show. And before the break, uh, we were talking to Ron about those magical moments that he had while working for the Walt Disney Company. But um, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the other stuff that you've done. So we're going to hand over to Alan. Yeah, um, you sort of said before the break that you worked for um, Mr. Dreamfinder for five years. And mm-hmm. it was only after doing that that you, when you started to look back and you, people were sort of coming back and telling the stories and how you touch people. What did you actually do after those five years? Where did you go from there? Um, while I was working at Disney, like a lot of performers, I started to get the itch to write uh, myself, to try and create some shows myself. And so I started writing down ideas and circulating them through the company. And I went through a, a phase, as a lot of people do, of, of being ignored and then being plagiarized and then being stuff being kicked around. And uh, finally, I wrote a treatment for a show uh, about a traveling medicine sh- uh, show, uh, you know, the medicine pitchman. Oh, right, and yeah. uh, this, this is what I'd actually done before um, I started with Disney, is I worked for uh, four years at Magic Mountain doing a traveling medicine show. I'd always loved that kind of character. And um, I had, uh, so, so I had this script, and a friend of mine was head of entertainment at Epcot. He left the company, went to work for Robert Earle, who is uh, a British uh, fellow who quite a restaurant magnate. He opened up, he had theme restaurants back in, in the UK, and he had King Henry's Feast. He's opened Planet Hollywood and the Hard Rock. He had King Henry's Feast here and uh, a couple of other themed uh, dinner shows, and uh, he wanted to open a Western theme in Kissimmee, just outside of Walt Disney World. So we, I got to write and direct and star in the Fort Liberty dinner show in Kissimmee, I did that for a couple of years. When I left there, I uh, did uh, several years as freelance 
uh, doing stand-up comedy. I work for the Chuck E. Cheese organization, which is a chain of uh, pizza restaurants with robotic characters doing shows while you eat. Um, I got hired in at uh, Universal Studios Florida and was creative supervisor for the Celebrity Lookalikes. And uh, what was, I had Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers and the Blues Brothers and Marilyn Monroe and W.C. Fields all working for me. I hired and trained those characters, wrote original material for them, and nice. did that for uh, three years. And I became staff writer for the attraction. And uh, then I went up to Canada for a couple of years. I was up at the Banff Springs Resort and up in the Canadian Rockies doing a theme dinner show up there. Uh, and uh, just a lot of freelance work, a lot of voiceover stuff, consulting, writing jobs. Wound up for about two and a half years on the opening crew of the Monsters Incorporated Laugh Floor yeah. at the Magic Kingdom. And uh, was one of the guys who got to work with Buddy Boyle on doing com- bad computer-generated stand-up. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so a, a wide variety of, uh, of jobs. See, see if that's um, some quiet time then. Oh, yeah. More than I'd like, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so if you could be involved in any other attraction at Disney that you weren't involved in, which one would you like to be involved with? Oh, easy question. I've never been a Jungle Cruise guide. I would give anything oh, yeah. to have had a couple mm. of years of that under my belt. That, uh, to be part of that tradition um, would just be glorious. I'd rather do it at Disneyland. Disneyland's my home park. I'm from Los Angeles originally. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a little bit cooler also in their jungle than mm. it is down here. Uh, but, um, yeah, Jungle Cruise Guide was a dream job since I was a child. That's probably the first theme park job that I really lusted after. And who wouldn't want to see the backside of water every 20 minutes, hey? Yes, indeed. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> the, no- the novelty never wears off. <laughs> no, the novelty doesn't ever wear off. You're dead right. Uh, right, let's go uh, back to where we were with DreamFinder. I, I want to talk about sort of the creation of DreamFinder because uh, I am as a profession, a drama teacher. So whenever I see the characters in the park and a lot ah, of performance... Hello? Uh, hello? Can hello? you hear me? Hello. Hello. Yeah, okay. um, so as, as, as a profession, I am a drama teacher. So whenever I see characters and things in the park, it's one of the things that I always sort of uh, almost move towards to look at. And um, with a lot of the characters, there is a source... Mickey, Minnie, goodness knows how many cartoon shorts, even things like Merida we recently has got the entire movie Brave. You had nothing, really. So how did you go about the creation of that character? Well, I had the ride. Remember? Yeah, of course. Um, that, uh, I was very, very lucky. I had a friend of mine worked in the sound department at Wed Enterprises, which is now uh, WDI, mm-hmm. Walt Disney Imagineering. A fellow named Ken Lisi, he, uh, I called him up when I first heard about DreamFinder, and I said, can you give me a recording of the DreamFinder's voice? Because if I'm going to go for the job of strolling around, I want to be able to duplicate the voice that's in the ride. And so he invited me out to uh, WED and presented me with a cassette of the opening scene of the ride and introduced me to Tony Baxter and Barry Braverman, the two gentlemen who were, be- who were the main creative force behind the attraction. And uh, they took me into the back area where they had just programmed that opening scene of the Dreamfinder flying through the air on the Dreamcatcher, and they showed me the scene. It had just been programmed. And then they sat me down and they talked me to me about the background of the characters and the background of the ride and um, the relationship between Dreamfinder and Figment. So uh, I had all of that going for me. Then I had my background as a performer. I knew how to engage the guests without scaring them off. Um, I learned a lot doing Dreamfinder. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I didn't come to it uh, you know, 
with with that well that much experience with that kind of character because I hadn't worked as that kind of character before. Nobody really had. He is kind of um, in a way a little bit of a medicine show style character, isn't he? There, well, he's there, there's a flashiness to him, yeah. but. Um, I just come from uh, four years at Magic Mountain and two years at the Golden Horseshoe playing mm. the medicine pitchman, who's a fast-talking individual, kind of sly, kind of out to, to, to trick you. Dreamfinder, on the other hand, is um, he's in, in a state of wonder about everything. And mm. Dreamfinder and Figment represent the two halves of human creativity. There's the organized, rational um, side of of the brain, the the right side or the the left side. The right side is the wild, impulsive, childish side of the brain. That's figment, mm-hmm. and so I had to embody those two characters. And but there's an affection between them. There was a nurturing, positive feeling that Dreamfinder had for Figment, which is one of the reasons that people were so uh, fond of Figment is because they saw fi- they saw him as something that was very precious and important to to Dreamfinder. Another major imp- uh, influence was Walt Disney. Uh, as Tony Baxter said, he was kind of modeled after that nice guy who hosted the Wonderful World of Color mm-hmm. on Sunday nights. Um, that same fellow who that wizard who opened up the the magic shop to us and showed us how he did these things mm-hmm. and explained the world to us the, the world to us and in creative terms. And made us feel very good about our part in it. That was very important to Dreamfinder too. And then I did a lot of research into dragons, their physiognomy. Um, there's a wonderful collection of sculptures called pocket dragons, um, and a lot of artwork about the, what's the name of the the well, I don't remember the name of the um, artist who did this, but there's a whole series of these paintings about this white-haired wizard who lived with dozens of pesky little dragons. They were everywhere, and he had to kind of live with them and tolerate them, and I learned a lot from, um, from his artwork. Uh, so there was a lot of source material that I, I was able to pull together, but then it came down to when I was one-on-one with the guests, I knew my goal was to involve them creatively, to inspire them, mm-hmm. uh, to see themselves as creative uh, people. And so when I got out there with them, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where all the when you're opening any kind of theme park, when you, it's when you let the guests come in, they tell you what you have. And um, so when I got out there, of course, all anybody wanted was a picture. Yeah, that kid, that guy had his kid's picture taken with a monkey. My kid's going to have his picture taken with a monkey. <laughs> they'll shove the kid at you, and they'll ask you to turn and pose, and then they'll grab the kid and they'll walk away. They got what they wanted, and you can't let the audience's lower expectations drag you down. You have to keep your eye on what your goal is. And my goal was to involve these people to get them to play, mm. yeah. and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do that. And the one day I had a family come over and the little boy walks up to me and he's all ready to pose for a picture. And I go, and I look down at the child. And I went, oh, my goodness. I, I, I've never seen anything like this before. But what are you? And suddenly he got very serious. He got this very serious look in his face and he thought about it and he went, uh, I'm a boy. A boy. Wow. That's amazing. Turn around. That's wonderful. Have you got a name? My name's Michael. Michael, wow, it's incredible. And figure, did you ever seen anything like this? And suddenly, the guests became my sparks of inspiration. Mm. They carried forth the theme of that first scene in the ride, and that what became the key for my involving them and playing with them. And I learned all sorts of various ways of doing this, and that not only drew those guests in, 
But their reaction to what I was doing was so entertaining that people who were waiting to have their picture taken with me were entertained, and we became a show. Hmm. Um, so the guests fed me a lot of what I brought to it um, and uh, my own research. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed that you're a drama teacher because I owe a lot to my drama teachers. And the first one I ever had, a uh, young man named Alan Josephsberg, who uh, remained a friend with, of mine all my life, just recently passed. Um, so uh, I have tremendous respect for the people who uh, have that influence on students. And um, I'm thrilled that you asked me that question. <laughs> and you um, talking about, obviously, they were your inspiration, the, the people who came to see you. Did you ever get to a point with a guest or anything like that where they were so into it, it almost got to the point where you weren't quite sure how to end it or how to get out of it? Um, the reality of the job never always gave me an out because I was always a person waiting to have their picture taken. Yeah, of course. Always a next, there was always a next guest. Um, I had to deal working in theme parks in any capacity always comes down to dealing creatively with operational reality. Mm-hmm. You have to make magic out of the real world. And so my reality became, all right, I'm standing in this garden area and I have got a hundred people standing around me, all of whom want my time and attention. I have to trick them into being entertained, trick them into being entertaining. I have to keep them organized so that they know who's next. And I have to be completely in control of this thing. And I have to do it in a way that I appear to be the dream finder and not some cop. Okay, so I learned to to (laughs) against the planter or a building so that I had the people who were going to be dealing with were all going to be in my line of sight, they were going to be on, you know, in front of me or on either side of me. I kept mental uh, list of who was next, who got here in what order. Um, I made sure they knew, constantly referring, turning my body. They knew that this was the area that I that was mine area. I kept moving around, so they knew this is my area. You're not to get any closer than this right now, unless I invite you into the circle. And when I got people into the circle, the show was about me and them. Um, the first year and a half. Uh, the arm that was holding the dragon didn't look that good because my, <laughs> my arm was inside the dragon. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Nobody's listening to this, right? No, it's fine. My dreams are ruined now. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll put some sort of uh, crashing wave noise over the point when you said that's fine. There you go. The arm that was holding the dragon didn't look very good, and so I had to learn to keep my, that side away from the people with the cameras. Mm-hmm. These were all operational realities that I had to deal mm. with creatively. And so the constant demand on my time and the constant need and the need to get away when it was time to get away. These, these things all became reality. So, um, no, there's sometimes you'd meet somebody who didn't want to let go of. Uh, there was the couple who brought their two twin little girls and they were in figment pajamas. And I just didn't want to let them go. So I took, <laughs> the, I took them back up to the Kodak uh, VIP lounge and we spent some time with them or some of the children from Give Kids the World uh, were just ins- an inspiration. And um, so that happens from time to time. But uh, generally people, you know, they're, they, you know it, they, uh, most of them understand what, what you're up against and what mm-hmm. you're dealing with because the nature of the business constantly reminds them. And so it was never really a problem. Good. You made a uh, special appearance at the D23 can you describe uh, the reception that you received from the audience there? 
Oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. It was about a, yeah, about a year out, a friend of mine who works with D23 uh, said, we want to bring back Dreamfinder for the 40th anniversary event. And I immediately said, it'll never work. <laughs> There's I, no way. Am I right in thinking this, <laughs> this meeting? no way you're going to pull this off. Am I right in thinking that this meeting took place in the Earl of Sandwich in downtown Disney? Uh, yeah, that was where we had our first conversation. <laughs> you read my book. Uh, or read wow. the, the site anyway. Um, yeah, that's, that's where that happened. And, um, uh, so, you know, he's, my friend scrambled around and, uh, pulled together the costume, pulled together the wig, beard, and mustache. Um, I had the, the, the dragon was in my possession at that time. And, um, it was all very top secret. Nobody knew about this. On the day we got there, um, and snuck into the convention, uh, only a handful of people, not even that. I think uh, the stage manager of the event knew, Dick Sherman, Richard Sherman knew, Tim O'Day knew. Uh, but that was pretty much it. And uh, we, uh, we got back, uh, we, we came in for the, uh, for the rehearsal the afternoon, and there were none of the guests there, just the people working on the thing. And I walked out on stage for the rehearsal. And I wasn't dressed as Dreamfinder, but I opened my mouth and said, uh, gave my first few lines as Dreamfinder. All the performers, all the technicians in the room just stopped and went, oh, <laughs> So uh, the event, there were 2,000 people in the room. The first row was filled with Disney legends, the people who had built Walt Disney World. My good friend David Smith from the Disney Archives. Tony Baxter was there. Marty Sklar was there. And um, Richard Sherman had, was just coming to the end of his, uh, his presentation about all the songs he's written for the thing. Tim O'Day turns to him and says, I think we've forgotten one. And they, up on the video screen came a video of me from 1983. Wow. <laughs> dedicating the journey to imagination ride and singing with figment and then the sound cuts out and i came walking on stage with figment and um the audience was just on their feet people with cameras were running up to the front of the room um a whole first row every, all the disney legends were in tears mm-hmm. and um figment and i got to center stage and just soaked it all in and we we had a couple of jokes that I'd written, and then we went over and uh, got to the piano with Richard, and uh, we sang One Little Spark, and I led the audience to sing along to the old song, and um, that was it. The response was astounding. I got home and went online, and um, boom, there were pictures up, yeah. and everybody's writing reviews. There was one fellow out there in the audience who, who, who he broke the rules, naughty man, who shot video of it. So it is up on... on um, it's on just, there are several videos up on YouTube mm. uh, of it, but um, do you know what? It's one of those moments of which I heard. I, I heard about D twenty three that was going on, and I followed on Twitter and everything what was happening. And oh, it was like this is cool. I quite like to be there. And as soon as that moment that they said the Dreamfighters walked out on stage, that was the moment where I went, "Oh, I so wish I was there." Mm. Um, and I, I and, and yes, someone broke the rules and, and took the video, but I'm so glad they did because I'd never have seen it. <laughs> The, uh, the, yeah, I understand they had a little spike in membership, as a matter of fact. After yes, that. I believe they did. Well, we are talking to Ron Schneider, and we're going to continue to talk to him after this little break, where we are going to play Dreamfinder Did or Dreamfinder Didn't. Hang around and find out what that is all about. Attraction Tickets Direct is the UK's number one ticket provider for Disney, Universal, and the worlds of Discovery Parks. 
They offer unbeatable prices and expert advice on all the major tickets and attractions in Orlando, California, and Paris. The service Attraction Tickets Direct provides is second to none. Lines are open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. Customers receive real tickets, not vouchers, within seven days. And there are no hidden extras, such as credit card fees or postage surcharges. Now that's what you call great service. Log on to www.attractionticketsdirect.com or call toll-free on 0800-975-0002. Hi, Adam. It's Paul from Diz After Dark. Congratulations on getting to 100 episodes. Long may you continue to reign. You are the daddy. Have a good one. Hello, is this the uh, red telephone box in Epcot? Oh, hey, how you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? <laughs> good, good. Now, this probably sounds very strange. You've just picked up uh, a telephone box in Ep- uh, a telephone in a telephone box in Epcot, and there's an English man speaking to you on the other end. Yeah. This is uh, this is the Disney Brit Radio Show, and we kind of just ring the red phone box and say hello to people. So, hello. Oh, hello. And your name is Adam. Adam, same as mine. That's really quite freaky. Yeah. And how's oh, your... your name? My name's Adam too, yeah. There we go. That's oh, how strange wow. that all Magical. over the world. Well, I'm in the UK. You're in the US. We've both got the same name. Uh, how long have you been in Epcot today? Um, since 10 o'clock. And who are you there with? Uh, my wife, Sandra. And are you... Uh, is this a family vacation? A quick trip? Yeah, we're on vacation. On vacation? Week. And how long are you there for? A week? Two weeks? A week. A week, fab. And uh, what are you? where are you going? You just picked up the phone box. Where were you off to? Uh, we're going to get a picture with the phone box. <laughs> <laughs> we you, you can get a picture with the phone box while talking to somebody from the UK now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. My uh, wife's from Germany, so we're heading up to uh, Germany. We're going to walk to Germany. And what are you going to do when you get to Germany? Is it time for a beer? or? Yeah, it's going to have a beer. Sounds good. Super yeah. fast. <laughs> What's the weather like today? Hot? It's hot, yep. And the crowd's busy, or is it is it dying down a little bit now? Uh, no, it was pretty busy, but now it wasn't too bad, actually. Oh, good. That's good to hear. Well, anyway, I, I, Adam, I've, I've kept you for long enough. I will allow you and your German wife to go and enjoy a beer in, in Germany and take your photo, uh, and enjoy the rest of your vacation. She doesn't believe someone's on the phone. Oh, oh, oh put her on, put her on, put her on. Let's let's see. <laughs> Hi. Hello. See, there Hi. is there is really somebody on the phone. All right, now she believes me. <laughs> right, well, enjoy the rest right. of your vacation. You too. Goodbye. Oh, how I love the confused sound of people when we read the red <laughs> phone box. Uh, I just that thought there of this this German lady thinking her husband's having a pretend conversation with somebody. I love that. And then she <laughs> picks it up and goes, oh, there is somebody there. Fine. She's happy now. There we go. We can continue with that day. I love, I love the idea that they're going to Germany for a drink. <laughs> you know, it's like, like the Brits on tour. We're off to England to have some beer. Yeah. It's <laughs> Germany for a drink. We join us here at our Disney Brit radio show live on Orlando Sky Radio. We have Ron Schneider with us. And I've been promising it for about the past 40 minutes, but we are now going to play a game that we call Dreamfinder Did 
or Dreamfinder didn't. Okay, now, Ron, you have no idea what this game is about, because we've been quite mean, and I've kept it secret from you, but this game links in with uh, a story that I've heard um, with regards to you being on Journey into Imagination at the time when the audio went down. Is this true? Absolutely true. Do you want to tell that story quickly, because it links into our game? The um, very first... uh when we the day that the ride was dedicated, we did the dedication ceremony, and then I led the first lucky group of people into the ride, and I got on the first car of the first train, and the rest of the train, the other four, the three cars were all filled with guests, and there were guests in the car with me, and we went into the went into the ride, we got to the first turntable scene, and uh, Dreamfinder's there saying hello there, Dreamfinder here, and he's flying through the air, and suddenly the sound went out. And I had, of course, memorized the opening scene of the ride, so I started doing the Dreamfinder's dialogue in <laughs> sync with the uh, audio animatronic figure. It. And this went along for about a minute and a half in the four-minute scene. Uh, finally, the sound came back on, and uh, I got a round of applause from my, my fellow passengers, and we went on our way. Okay, well, this is the reason we're playing this game. So what I've got here is I have six quotes from six Walt Disney World... Well, six quotes from Disney World attractions, okay? There are ones that are around at the same time as Journey into Imagination. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read a quote, and you have to tell me whether the Dreamfinder did or the Dreamfinder didn't say it. Okay. <laughs> it's that simple, okay? Have you ever played this game before? It's nothing like it. Brilliant. Okay, here we go. So, <laughs> our first quote then, here we go, is this. We can combine it with ghostly shivers on a stormy night and turn them into a tale of fright. Did the Dreamfinder say that yes or no? First scene of the ride, yes sir. Oh, I see. I thought I'd start off with an easy one. Yes, it was indeed the Dreamfinder. Okay, the next one is, ah, there you are, and just in time, there's a little matter I forgot to mention. <laughs> Beware of hitchhiking ghosts. Oh, I see, he's too good. <laughs> Genuinely is the ghost host. I'm very impressed. All right, let's go for this one. This might be a bit tougher. Uh, Gee, it sure is dark in here. There's got to be a light around here somewhere. Ah, this ought to do it. Well, I know Dreamfinder didn't say it, but I'm having a heck of a time remembering who did. Uh, It's Buzzy from Cranium Command. But you were right. You Uh were right. Dreamfinder didn't say it. That was the important bit. Uh, Okay, next one. Of course, it's your key to unlock the hidden wonders of our world. Did the Dreamfinder say it or didn't he? Oh, yes. He said that just before the image and technology section. Wow. This man really knows his (laughs) Dreamfinder. Well, he is Dreamfinder. He would know. Uh, Okay. Science will need electron beams and crystal prisms, gyroscopes and magnetisms. Okay, finish that. Because Dreamfinder... Dreamfinder didn't say that. Figment said it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> trick, quest, trick question. Nice of you. Uh, but do you know the next part of it? I don't know the next part. Because the, the next part of it, Figment's voice fades away as he's saying it, and you can't quite hear it. It's, he says, holy grams in three dimensions. Wow. See, there's a little bit of trivia for you. I thought I'd put that in. I think Figment said it. Come on, let's see if we can catch him out. Um, <laughs> quite clearly we can't. And the last one is, what about science? Uh, he said it, and he said it several times. He does indeed. And what about point... science, 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 Yes, science. he does. He repeats it. There you go. Well, that game was quite clearly too, far too, too easy, easy, so we'll just get well, rid of that. Well, you got to remember something. I grew up going to Disneyland, and that I, is by the time I started working at Disneyland, I knew every ride narration at Disneyland by heart. 
I had tape recorded all of them with my little cassette recorder. Well, so you are you sort of know all the narrations for everything that's going on. So things like I uh, try to, yeah. Excellent. I'm impressed. I've got a quick question though. Um, you got all the answers right. So what's the prize? The prize yeah. is that. Um, I don't know. I haven't got one. <laughs> <laughs> the prize Sorry, is that you, up there. You, you get to come back again and defend hey! your title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't. Thanks, Alan. That just set me up for a fall. Uh, we, say, we have got Ron Schneider with us uh, here on the Disney Brit Radio Show live on uh, on Orlando Sky Radio, and it's absolutely brilliant to have him with us. And we haven't got long left with him, uh, but I've got a few more things that I want to sort of talk to you about. I was going to play some audio from D23, which we'd got, but uh, we've really not got the time. But you can check that out uh, online. Uh, there's plenty about in some sneaky places like YouTube. But there's one other thing that I'm absolutely intrigued by, and this is something Alan brought up uh, earlier on today which was apparently both One Little Spark and It's a Small World fit uh-huh. together. They can be sung together. They're, they're, they're kind of the same tune, yes. Oh, another video that's up on YouTube is a, that my friend Jeff Lang recorded. Was, oh, yeah. Uh, we went on Small World, and um, during the ride, he videotaped me going through It's a Small World singing One Little Spark. Um, but I realized one day as I was riding through the attraction that the two could be sung in perfect counterpoint. Oh, and as well as a happy birthday. Um, but, <laughs> and, I, and I was lucky enough, I pointed these out to Richard Sherman. He had no idea. So it's, uh, there's a, I can see a CD coming on here. Ron Schneider sings Counter Melodies <laughs> to It's a Small World. Uh, brilliant. Is there any like chance? A Glee mix. That, obviously, we have to prove this. Is there any chance that we could prove this right now? If I was to play It's a Small World. Oh, yeah. You, right, okay. So I've got It's a Small World here. Here we go. So let's see if we can prove this. You've got your big flouncy intro. Little spark. It's got this big intro. And then when the intro's finished. Right, here we go then. This is Ron Schneider, the Dreamfinder, singing a counter melody of One Little Spark to It's a Small oh. World coming up any second. I've picked the one with the long intro, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. We love a bit of it, it's a small world. Here we go. One, two, three, go. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of its... I'm sorry, but the sound in my earphones cut out every time I try to sing. Oh, no. So I can't hear the playback. Well, I think it works, so it's absolutely fine. So it's <laughs> there we go, we've just proved the point anyway. I'm sorry. Right, we, we haven't talked much about um, A, the Jeff Lang DVD that you've done, and your book. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about the book that you've, um, you've written? Uh, well, it's, um, it's something I've always had in the back of my mind throughout my career that uh, I got into this business because of my interest in that particular form of performance and that I, I was on a quest for a certain body of knowledge and experience, and I knew somehow that I wanted to communicate this to people. And uh, then it came to uh, the 25th anniversary of Epcot. I did a presentation about my career as Dreamfinder. Jim Hill of Jim Hill Media said to me, this is... Uh, this is a book. This should mm. be a book. So I sat down and started writing a memoir. 
and uh, it's, it's got about, it took me about six months to do the memoir, another uh, couple months to do the rewrite, and then two and a half months to do the editing. And wow. it's called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. And it's about the whole breadth of my 40-year career in theme parks as a writer, performer, director, consultant. But it's also a textbook on how to write and perform in theme parks, dealing with the uh, the corporate mindset mm. and dealing with the guests and all the crazy things that we get up to behind the scenes. Uh, there's a lot in there about the Dreamfinder, but there's a lot more about uh, the Golden Horseshoe, uh, Universal Studios, uh, both East and West Coast. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, just a way of following along as uh, I have these dreams of things I want to do. And you get to see how these dreams all manage to come true just by uh, hard work and luck and knowing the right people. There's some really interesting sort of sort of chapter titles when you look through the book as well some that give away quite a lot some that don't give away anything so like there's one chapter called april 1980 that was the uh month that i got hired on simultaneously and within an hour of each other uh by universal studios to be a creative manager for their three million dollar theme restaurant and wow. 15 minutes later i get a phone call from disney saying we want you at the golden horseshoe review and that, that that dream came true right okay. um and uh, a number of years later the same thing happened again within 24 hours i was offered a full-time permanent job with disney as a performer but then i also made the jump to being a creative writer for universal studios um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's a matter of pursuing your bliss. You know, if you do what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. It'll always be fun and always be play. And I'm very lucky. I came along at exactly the right time. Mm. I was at Disneyland the day it opened in 1955. I was the right age to be at the Golden Horseshoe. I was the right age to do the Dreamfinder and to open a series of theme parks over the years. And, uh, so that's what the book's about. And the video by Jeff Lang uh, it's a new thing he just did uh, to back up the book. Mm. There's an extended interview with me about uh, creating the uh, Dreamfinder and animating Figment. But then there's a ride-through of the original attraction, um, a whole new ride-through with me doing a commentary track. So I talk you through the ride, point things out along the way, talk about what it was like behind the scenes and working there. And uh, this has just come out, and uh, you can get it through JeffLang.com. Uh, yeah, Jeff uh, my is. book... You can either get on Amazon or uh, you can order autographed copies of the paperback through bamboofatforestpublishing.com. And it's available as a hard copy. And did you say it's available as an ebook as well? It's not a hard copy yet that I know of. Um, right now, what we've got are the paperbacks. It will be an ebook, it will be a Kindle, and um, uh, all the different things. And I'm working That's on an audiobook. Oh, wow. Audiobook would be really cool. But Kindle's yeah. version is definitely one I'm looking at. Now, uh, I've read over on your blog, which is dreamfinder.wordpress.com, which is D-R-E-E-M finder.wordpress.com. You can actually look at the very first part of the book and you can follow all of the stuff that Ron does as well. And this is where I sort of started to read the book from. And as soon as it comes out an ebook, I will be there buying it the day that, that the moment that that happens, because I'm so interested in sort of Disney history. I'm so interested in things to do with Wally Bogan, to do with Dreamfinder, all those sort of things. It's an absolute perfect Disney geek thing for you to enjoy. Um, well, we really are coming to the end of the show. Um, and I could honestly, I think, talk to Ron for hours about Dreamfinder and about all those things for Disney. And I, I think we've only touched the surface of the things that you know about Disney, having seen 
uh, videos with you with Leonard Kis- Kinsley talking about Horizons audio and all those sort of things. <laughs> um, we, we could genuinely just talk forever and ever and ever, but we just we just really don't have the time. So I want to say a massive, massive thank you for coming on the show. It was entirely my pleasure. It was just delightful. And I'd come back anytime you need me. Well, you know what? That uh, offer will definitely be taking up. Uh, and we will be inviting mm-hmm. you back at some point soon to talk to you more about Dreamfinder and more about Disney and all the Disney knowledge you've got. But as I said, that is the end of the show. Which means, yes, it is end of the show music time. So uh, we've already said a massive, massive thank you to Ron Schneider for joining us today. I also want to say a big thank you to Kez and to Alan, as always, wonderful people. You do have, you do ever so well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that was sarcastic thank you or not. Uh, don't forget, you can go and uh, look at our sponsors, Attraction Tickets Direct, attraction-direct.co.uk, and of course, the wonderful people over at touringplans.com. You can find out all the information you need to know about crowd calendars, when is it going to be busy, when isn't it, their Lines app that gives you uh, wonderful news of when attractions are going to be short and when fast passes are going to run out and of course their wonderful touring plans making you uh, tour the parks without the need to uh, worry about where the long queues are you can also email us your questions your comments and your suggestions at podcast at disneybrit.com and you can ring our voicemail 407-545-7980 or go over to disneybrit.com and on the right hand side you can click on the leave a message icon and you can leave a message right there on the website for us to play and for us to use don't forget to check out our Facebook page, our Disney Bit fan page. You can friend up myself, Juz. You can friend up Alan. You can friend up Kez. Everybody over on there. And I think even Mr. Dreamfinder is over there as well. Uh, oh, yes. You can leave us a review <laughs> on iTunes. Check out our YouTube channel. Check out absolutely everything. I can't believe we've really come to the end of the show. And I really don't want Ron to go. But sadly, we have come to that end and we've come to that time. So that leaves me with nothing else to say other than the next Disney Brit Radio show is going to be here on Monday, the 27th of August. But if you want to get a little bit of taste of Disney before then, you can join us for the Disney Island Discs Radio Show on the 20th of August, which is next Monday. That's it. That leaves me nothing else to say other than we'll see you then. So until then, we'll see you. My name is Martin from Wolverhampton. Just wanted to tell you what a fantastic experience I had at Mouse Meets 2012 in Birmingham. There were many highlights, but in particular for me, the voice of Goofy Bill Farmer. I was starstruck. It was awesome with a capital A. Just wanted to thank you guys also at Disney Brit Nile Orlando keeping us all informed of what's going on in the parks or should I say paradise. It makes the waits that much more easy to cope with before I visit the magic again. 
which will be on the 3rd of November 2012. Just want to say, each and every, every one of you, take care. Best wishes, Martin. Thank you.